0: This is Fluid Truth, and I'm attorney Shirley Skyers thomas We explore a simple question of whether there is equity in the justice system. The content offered in this segment is personal reflection and interpretation. The views of my guests are not necessarily the views of Fluid Truth or Quinnipiac University. For clarity, this conversation has been edited. I am pleased to introduce Ms. Javielle Foy, a senior political science major, and Mr. Toyloy Brown III, a senior journalism major. Both are students here at Quinnipiac. It was so great to sit down with both Javier and Toyloy to get their perspectives and their stories, and they shared it with us here at Fluid Tree. Guys, welcome. Glad you're here. Glad to be Thank here. Thank you very much. All right, so I'd like to jump in both feet really quick, but before we get into the crux of the question that I ask, which is, is there equity in the justice system? Before we get there. Tell me a little bit, bit, bit about yourselves, Javiel, go ahead.
1: So hi everyone, my name is Javiel Foy and I'm a senior political science major with public relations minor. Um, I'm the president of the Black Student Union here at Quinnipiac and I've been involved with that pretty much since day one. And I am also really passionate about you know community service and you know just helping others. So I'm the volunteer recruitment co-chair for Quinnipiac's big event, which is our largest day of community service here at Quinnipiac. Um, I am from New Jersey, I am one of three kids, um, and that's me.
0: Fabulous! I'm glad that you're you. And Mr. T.J. Brown the Third, tell me about you.
2: Yeah, so my full name is Toiloy Brown the Third. Most people call me T.J. for short. As he stated, I'm a journalism major. I'm also a sociology minor. Um, senior at Quinnipiac University. Uh, some of the things that I'm passionate about is writing, specifically. I'm also a big sports fan, and I love writing and talking about social issues and injustices and trying to give my perspective and also learn about what is going on as it comes to inequalities in our country and at the world at large.
0: Fabulous. And where are you from, T.J.?
2: I'm from the Bronx, New York.
0: Fabulous. So uh, you guys are not Connecticut Natives but you know can we adopt you? Is, it, is, it, is that okay? Uh, maybe. Um, I'm not sure. You have to try <laughs> hard. <laughs> yeah. All right, all right. New I'm
2: York City go. runs through my veins. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. All
0: right. All right. I guess not. But um, so to jump in I want to hear about your perspectives on equity in the justice system and a lot of times I have this conversation and it's I'm talking to people with a lot of lived experience mm-hmm. and that's one thing and that's one way to have this conversation. But I think this other alternative is perspective and we get a chance to kind of dig in deep and figure out why we think the way we think and what influenced us to think the way we think. So I'd love to pose that to you both. So first of all, give me some of your perspective, equity in the justice system.
1: Uh, So I personally, as an overarching thing, I don't think there is equity. Um, I do a lot of documentary watching and, you know, Vice News and watching all their documentaries and things. And even beyond that, uh, where I grew up, I grew up in East Orange and Newark, New Jersey primarily, but my family, like the Bronx is generationally where we are. Um, so I was able to see those inequalities firsthand, like stopping when you see another black man being accosted by police, just even walking on the same street. It is a known thing in my family. You stop, you wait, you see what happens. If you need to intervene, you intervene as safely as possible. Um, so also my experience as a black woman in, in America in general um, has been, I would say unequal. I've went to Catholic, predominantly white schools my whole life, um, even though, you know, I try my best to be overly involved, whether it be extracurricularly, um, academically, I, the inequalities are there. Um, I do feel like I personally am speaking from a place of privilege. Um, my parents were, I grew up in a two parent household for the most part. My mom is a public school teacher. So the privilege is there for me, but the inequalities that come with just being a black woman in America just, <laughs> they they will still exist, no matter how, mu- how privileged I am, no matter how I look, no matter how much money I have, it's still going to be there.
0: Thanks for that. And as you're talking about a black woman in America, do you see change on the horizon?
1: I would like to say that I do, um, but I feel like every time we take three steps forward, it's about five steps back. Um, as far as now the new, like, that's not new, but uh, respectability politics is like coming back into play. And even though, like, I grew up on that, that's what my mom has taught me my whole life, it just still feels, even though it's from a good place, it still feels unequal across the board. I follow that. What about you, TJ? What's yes, so
2: similar to Javiel, I also don't believe there's equity in the justice system. That's informed by personal experience as well as just what I've seen in stats, what I've seen in documentaries, what I've read. I don't think it's a coincidence that the majority of those that are incarcerated, just to go strictly to the prison system, those that are incarcerated are descendants of slaves, are African Americans, as well as people of color at large. So I don't think that's a coincidence, and that's largely where I don't believe that there's equity, there's fairness within the prison system, especially.
0: I know you were saying before that you have um, a lot of passion about social justice issues. So what has really informed your Desire to focus on social justice.
2: I have to give a lot of credit to my upbringing. I'm the only child Raised in a two-parent household and both my parents have I think done an excellent job raising me and In terms of the conversations that we have as, as a family when it comes to issues that affect people that look like us We're very open about it and we are understanding that black people are treated differently than most people in this country And I have to give a lot of credit especially to my mom because she's very no holding back when it comes to like how i have to uh, conduct myself because to be honest i feel that there's a lot of pressure being black especially a black man well black as, the g- as generally but me as the, just knowing the experience of being a black male i know that i've been profiled i know that people act differently when i step into a room that where well, i'm the only black person um, i've learned that when i came to quinnipiac university so that sort of is what has informed me and has grounded my passion also when it comes to sports uh, the Colin Kaepernick issue when it was in 2016 when he initially decided that he was going to kneel during the National Anthem. That also sparked the interest between the intersection of sports and politics. Um, that's something I want to write about. Uh, so all those things combined has helped inform me.
0: I like the intersection and I look forward to hearing about it because I think it is there are a lot of intersectionalities when it comes to inequity, when it comes to justice. There's a lot of points where it can uh, really intersect. So. I really look forward to reading about that. Mm -hmm. Now, to go a little further into, you're here at the university and you might have some unique experiences. Are you able to share any experiences that either inform you or maybe um, encourage or deter you? What are your experiences here as a person of color?
1: um i can speak from my experiences so i came from white schools like that was my whole upbringing my family teased me about it the whole time even though they're the ones who sent me there i definitely couldn't pay for myself um so when i came in it was not as much as they like oh this is like so strange to me but it was strange living amongst like amongst white people, like, I've never had to deal with that. Like, yes, I was friends with them, but, like, I wasn't coming home to them. So, like, a lot of the cultural norms that, like, we experienced in a black household, like, every time you cook, you have to clean up after yourself in the kitchen, you must sweep. Like, those sort of things were very strange. And then I felt sometimes, I felt that sometimes I was demonized because I had these certain I wouldn't really know what to call them, but these certain standards of living—I guess you could call them—and um, like, I would get upset about certain things, and other people would be like, "Why are you upset about that? That doesn't really matter." But it's like it does matter. For example, my roommate freshman year, um, she doesn't go here anymore, but she—we would go to like Target and things like that, and she had sticky fingers and would and would take from Target. And you know, my parents were like, "Listen, if you have to steal it, that means you don't actually need it. Like, do not do that." And they were also telling me, like, "Listen, if you're with anyone who's stealing, you know, walk about 20 feet behind them because you you know exactly what will happen." And I felt so bad because at Target it was it was me being watched, not her. And even though she was the one, you know, doing all of the things, and even in like our within our room, I made it very clear to my RA. I said, "Hey, I've known this girl since high school." she, if there's going to be any trouble that happens from this room, it's going to be her. And like, even though that was heard here, um, it still felt like sometimes I was being like side-watched or like if a public safety officer like came around, like it was always, the focus was mostly on me. But I will say that like, at my personal experience was this university has actually helped, like protected me in a lot of ways. For example, said roommate, <laughs> um, she said the N word pr- profusely now. Me, I've known her since high school, I knew how she was. It didn't, it bothered me, but it wasn't bothering me to the point where, oh my gosh, now I have to go tell somebody about it. But other girls on my floor did, and they went to Res Life and were like, hey, I don't think she's safe in this room, even though, you know, I could have advocated for myself. So I was brought into Res Life and they sat me down, and they closed the doors, drew, drew the curtains, and were like, are you okay? And I was like, I'm perfectly fine. I think the whole school would have known if I wasn't okay, um, because I'm someone who knows how to speak up and advocate for myself. And from that point on, I think it was, I don't know if it was, like, a university-wide thing, but, like, they they all knew the situation there. So they all, you know, made sure if there was any trouble happening, like, you, I know you are not the aggressor. We're going to remove you from the situation entirely. And the focus would be on her. So in some ways, Quinnipiac has protected me. But at the same time, it was still, like, touchy, like, weird. I have a lot of white friends, but even when I'm around them, I feel like It's like me in a little bubble. Like, even last night I went out to dinner. They were talking about how they heard a Chartwell's um, faculty or staff uh, talk about something that, to them, seemed very out of the, the norm. But for me, as a black kid who came from, you know, what people in New Jersey call the hood, I was like, that's not weird. That's normal. So, Kunipiak is a very interesting place to be as a person of color, specifically a black person of color. Um... So I don't know, I, I enjoy my time here but it's, it's very interesting sometimes.
0: And I think that's an appropriate response and uh, kudos to the university for stepping up to mm-hmm. protect you. But I do recognize that these are sensitive topics mm-hmm. and a lot of times we don't have the same interaction with people because of our upbringing and because of what we, you know, how we grew up and what we see. So I do recognize that that could be a little, little touch and go and, and mm-hmm. challenging to navigate. Yes. What about you TJ?
2: Yeah, thanks for sharing. That was a really interesting (laughs) job. Yeah, I heard a couple of your stories, but learned some new (laughs) stuff along the way. Uh, Yeah, my experience at Quinnipiac has been complex. It's a little complicated because on one hand, I'm happy that I chose the school because of how it's prepared me for my career. I'm also part of the newspaper as one of the managing editors of the Quinnipiac Chronicle, and I'm really proud of that, and I've grown so much as a journalist. And also in the classroom, really good professors, made some nice friends along the way as well where I guess it gets complicated is when, just to give a short story, I remember my first year living at Quinnipiac, my freshman year, one of my roommates, um, who I'm st- I have a solid relationship with him, but never forget, he told us a story that he accidentally hit or rear-ended uh, the back of a car of a parent that had a student that was visiting um, the school as a senior in high school, and uh, I guess thinking about attending Quinnipiac. And we, me and my roommate, who was also black, um, we both were like, oh, that's really bad. That's shocking. You're, are you, is this going to be something that you're going to get in trouble for? Because obviously you hit someone, a parent's car on Quinnipiac property. And the bulk of the story was not that, oh, I'm, I'm not in trouble or anything because it turned out like the parents were okay with it, and I guess the damage wasn't severe. Oh, yeah, and by the way, this roommate was white. That's telling, us, that's telling us that he hit the car of a parent. Um, but instead, he's bragging about how he ended up getting the Snapchat of the 18-year-old that was visiting Quinnipiac University instead of like being thankful that he wasn't in trouble for hitting the car of a parent. And me and my black roommate both looked at each other thinking to ourselves, if it was us, if we hit the back of a car we will be scared that either some sort of legal thing would happen, we wouldn't be on this campus, some sort of punishment would be delved out rather than being happy we got some sort of social media from a, a girl. So that's just one short story of like different things or one example of how different things at Quinnipiac and being being a black person here is complicated I know my perspective and my fears are different than the majority of students also uh, just to backtrack I'm from the Bronx from a predominantly black environment uh, black parents I never really had a white friend that I knew of at least before I came to Quinnipiac University so it was a culture shock in terms of trying to get accustomed and find a comfort level With people and I guess the biggest entry point for me was through sports. I can talk basketball and football with everybody. I'm really passionate about that and there's a lot of sports fans at Quinnipiac so that was my entry point into having friends and be able to be comfortable with people but when it came to things that were outside of sports or if it was sports but dealt with Colin Kaepernick for example it wasn't as easy and I had to kind of take it upon myself to not feel I had to damper my opinions because I'm in an environment where people may disagree with me more often. Um, so that's part of my experience at Quinnipiac University. And lastly, I'll say that over the past year, something that I was approached to do that I'm very proud of is to start this magazine called Forta the Culture. Um, culture spelled Q-U uh, and the rest of how you spell culture, where it highlights students of color at Quinnipiac by students of color at Quinnipiac. So it was very genuine in terms of that I approached. And I can't tell you how many people, students, as well as administrators and professors have come to me and saying that this was something that was special, that it didn't come from the the administration trying to, I guess, tokenize students of color when they try to, I guess, pitch out to high school students, but it came from us and actually shown multicultural organizations, showing students having a round table talk about social justice and about the summer of 2020. So that's one of the things that I can't be more proud of being involved in with the magazine and I guess has made my Quinnipiac experience, even though it's complicated, uh, it's been worth it.
0: And that's a perfect segue and thank you for sharing that Mm -hmm. because I want to ask you both next about the summer of 2020. It was a challenge in terms of social justice. It was an eye-opener to the country at large and many people who weren't familiar with some of the challenges are now faced with some of the impediments that the black community is going through and some of the challenges of race relations in this country. So the summer of 2020, what was resonating with you guys? Javiel. The
1: summer of 2020. Uh, Summer of 2020 as a whole, as we know, was honestly, it honestly changed my whole life. Everything I had thought before was no longer the things I am thinking. Um, I questioned every single one of my friendships, um, black, white, Anything in between, um, because I, I realized that, you know, I'm okay with other people being ignorant. I realize that I am getting a higher education. I reach out and I actively seek new things, um, but for ignorance, for ignorance to have extended so far, especially within my personal life, like I had parents reaching out to me and my friends saying, "Are you okay?" I never knew this was going on, and it hurt me so bad because it's like I've sat at your table, like. I've, I've slept in your daughter's room. We have like broken bread together, and you never even thought to granted, you know, not everyone has not everyone's 24 hours is the same, but you never even thought, you know, what? I wonder why her hair is like that, or I wonder why she got so nervous when my brother, who's a cop, came to the house that one time for some arbitrary reason. Um, I felt unprotected. As a Black woman in America, I felt even more unprotected as a Quinnipiac student because up until this time, I felt like we were just tokenized. And even though currently I feel that we're tokenized, it was now very performative. Um, Even being president of Black Student Union, you know, all of a sudden there were councils and organizations and administrators. Everyone wanted a meeting with us. Everyone wanted a meeting with us, and it's like. How are you suddenly trying to get a meeting with us when we've been here, been here for over a decade? You know, um, there's been presidents before me, councils before me, now it's 2020, and a black man was murdered on the street a hundred million states away, but now suddenly you care to reach out to the black students on your campus who have been sitting here making noise for however long. So that was, it was a lot. Um, even from an organizational standpoint, aside from you know being tokenized, uh, we had people who suddenly got woke um, and were like, okay, we're gonna make essentially a whole other organization, a whole other movement on your campus, even though you've been making all this noise for all this time. And then when we were upset about it, they, they just couldn't understand. Why would you be upset about this? We're trying to make change. No, you're not trying to make change. You're trying to dis- d- to create something that has already been created. And on top of that, you know, not even trying to participate or learn or attend a meeting or come out to us walking um, in new haven or anything like that you weren't trying to do that you were just trying to come and be a performative and get whatever clout you needed and all because one man got killed instead of focusing on the fact that your friend your black friend at quinnipiac got profiled by a public safety officer a, a cop in new haven when they were out one saturday night there was no sort of care until 2020. And I think for that, it really changed it changed my life because now it, I felt like you didn't care about me before and how dare you now want to care, you know, after someone you don't know is uh, hurt, killed.
0: 2020 for me was a huge challenge. I'm not gonna go into it for myself, but um, I do recognize the idea of there have been fights. Mm-hmm. There, there's been, the movement has been moving forward for decades and it's unfortunate that the country saw something so terrible um, last summer but the response to me is bittersweet so I do understand and TJ tell me about you
2: yeah uh, I can second what Javier said especially I was a part of the BLOC student union executive board uh, since my sophomore year and during that summertime the number of organizations that we never knew of or people that we never seen at a BSU meeting or talk to Mm -hmm. us or email us at any point and now trying to show that they care because it's now that's what public opinion was to p- care about Black lives. All of a sudden, um, to the point of one the protest, of one the partner up, and all this stuff, it seemed superficial. And I think it's fair to say it, most of it was superficial because um, at least that similar energy is not existent anymore. Um, but to go back to, I guess, m- me more personally outside of Quinnipiac, it was it wasn't revelatory in the sense that I learned so much. But it was it was inspiring to see how many people d- were out there protesting during COVID-19. Uh, that's not something I would have predicted the largest sort of group protest that we've seen in this country and probably in all most of the world because um, it was outside the United States as well. I know there was black people in, in England, for sure. I remember seeing videos of that on Twitter at that point. Um, but as far as me, as how I felt emotionally, I, was, I happened to be in Virginia during the time. Um, to hang out with my family, some cousins that I have in Virginia that are younger than me. So that was a bit of an escape for me. So I wasn't just watching the news, wasn't always on Twitter. I was playing video games and hanging out with my 8-year-old cousin Mason and my 13-year-old cousin Maya and my 14-year-old cousin Scotty and just having a good time in the, in the household. And as an only child, I'm not used to that. So that was a really good uh, two months, I believe, that I enjoyed. So that was my that was my summer or how I took it.
0: And it sounds good to me that there is this opportunity to, it's not a disconnect because you can't disconnect from who you are or Mm -hmm. what you see, but this opportunity to change the focus. So it sounds like that's what you're able to do, TJ, just kind of change the focus. And um, as we kind of wrap up this conversation, I'm interested in what you guys want to see, because there's so much potential out there. There is a lot of hope. I am an ambassador of hope, so what it looks like right now is not going to be how it looks like tomorrow. Mm-hmm. It's got to get better. It's got to be better than this. So what's your intention to move forward in the hope?
1: I think my intention is for more genuineness. Um, I, I think 2020 really brought out to me how important that is for me as like a personal value um like i've said going back to what tj said also about um organizations and pe- random people reaching out to us who had never seemed to care before um tj is correct when he when he sa- says that like that interest has died down drastically um granted people are still reaching out still coming to events things like that but a part of it is still ingenuine for me um I, showing up and coming to a meeting like yeah that's cool but it's like if once you leave that meeting you suddenly don't care anymore that's not genuine to me and you know as black people I think we are weary about people from other races other cultures coming into ours and like trying to essentially make it make it a home for themselves as well when it's our safe space but I do think that we need to somehow bridge whatever gap it is miscommunication so we can be more inclusive and create a more genuine environment for others, um, even though you know I am a big advocate for a safe space, especially for um, black and brown uh, children, teens young adults. Um, I think if we want this big, progressive, happy world that we want, there has to be, we have to maybe create a blueprint for what it means to be a genuine ally, a genuine human being. Okay, you're an outsider and you're coming into someone's safe space, what do you do? So I think my hope is that it will all become more genuine days. I like that. I like
2: that a lot. Yeah. So from the big picture, when you first asked that question, the first thing that came to mind was reparations. <laughs> 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 that's to be the truth, or that's my honest truth. Um, but I guess on the smaller scale, and I, s- I actually believe that. I'm not just um, being a joke. I think that should happen. Make that real change. Uh, but on the smaller scale, I do want I want more actions. I, want mm-hmm. I, I'm l- I love to talk. It's cool to talk about change. It's cool to discuss and try to have different pockets of our society, give their information to educate, but I think we know a lot and we know enough to make change and to actually have laws be enacted and and have things fundamentally changed, so that's sort of what I would hope for. And as it comes to, I guess, the Quinnipiac level, uh, the majority white campus that we're on, uh, I want people to care, (laughs) it's that simple. Care not just to me when they're talking to me or see a black face and they say I'm woke or I care Mm -hmm. about black people, I had put a black box on Instagram during blackout, whatever, Mm -hmm. during that summer. I want that to actually be the case in their personal lives, in their private lives. So that's sort of what I hope or my intentions for this upcoming, I guess, year and more.
0: That's fabulous. I think if anyone is going to be at the helm of change, I see you both right there. So looking (laughs) forward to seeing your progress. And thank you so much for talking with me. I mean, I think this is a very fabulous conversation to have because it just opens up the, the lines of communication. Mm-hmm. So, hopefully, whomever is jumping into this conversation with us is able to get just a little bit of a lens from how you both see the world. And I find that very valuable. So, thank you so much, both of you.
2: Oh, yeah, thank you.
0: Thanks for listening in today. Special thanks to our producer, Johnny Marquot, and executive producer, David Deroche. Music is provided by Audio Hero from their Jazz Lounge album. To learn more about all of our podcasts, visit QU edu podcast. You can listen to our podcast on the platform or app of your choice. Be sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram at QU podcasts. If you have a story to share or something you want to talk about, find us on social media or shoot us an email. That address is QU at QU On the next show, I'll be sitting down with Miss Ray Cicero HR manager for Walgreens in Windsor, Connecticut, and CEO and founder of Sheba Consulting. All right. That's it for today. Till next time.